Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Yeager. And I'm Lisa Carrico. We're program directors for Missouri Humanities. And we're so excited to bring you our latest episode of Eat, Think, and Be Merry. This podcast is part of our 2022 signature series. And throughout this year, we'll feature food thinkers and other special guests with exciting, inspiring, and downright delicious stories as we consider the role food plays in shaping our society, how it connects us to each other, to our own pasts and identities, and to the world around us. We invite you to feed your mind and join us around the table as we host conversations that explore Missouri's foodways and edible history to celebrate the breadth and depth of Missouri's cultural heritage, natural environment, and the relationship between food and the human experience. We are back with another episode of Eat, Think, and Be Merry. Thanks for joining us for this slightly different and special edition of the podcast. We're excited to share an engaging panel discussion that was recorded in July of 2022 following the premiere of our debut short film, Won't You Feed My Neighbor? We've just recently released the film to the public, which is available to watch for free on our YouTube channel. Won't You Feed My Neighbor is a short film about Missouri's movement towards food security, with the mission to seek out answers to two questions. What does food insecurity look like in Missouri, and what's being done to address it? Food can symbolize connection, celebration, and unity, but food is not created equal. Access to fresh and nutritional food is an issue faced across generations and throughout the world. Here in the Show Me State, both urban and rural Missourians struggle with food insecurity, finding themselves in so-called food deserts, or areas of low income with low access to fresh food resources, such as a full-service grocery store. The film highlights several organizations and individuals throughout the state dedicated to improving food access and providing resources in their communities, regions, and beyond. Their creative strategies, commitment to educating others, and passion for helping their neighbors reinforces hope for a more secure, sustainable food system here in Missouri. We thought the panel discussion that followed the premiere provided such a wonderful conversation about the many facets of this film, and we wanted to make sure we shared that conversation with all of you in the hopes that it sparks thoughtful and impactful dialogue in your own communities. If you haven't already done so, we invite you to watch the film. If you've already watched it, we invite you to watch it again. We've also included some additional resources and a film viewing and discussion guide on our website at mohumanities.org backslash food. We hope that this episode, along with the film and viewing guide, will serve as jumping off points to exchange ideas around cultivating more equitable and viable food systems and to engage with one another about what you see in your own neighborhoods and communities. Caitlin, let's get this conversation started. Okay, good evening, everyone. As Lisa mentioned earlier, my name is Caitlin Yeager. I'm a fellow program director with Missouri Humanities. Um, before we dig into our panel discussion, I want to give a special shout out. Um, Lisa and I were the program directors on this film, but we want to make sure we give a special shout out to our cinematographer, Michael Saldivar. He's more of a behind the camera guy, so he's not here as part of our Q&A or presenting tonight, but um, he worked tirelessly to present and create the film that you saw 
tonight. So um, I just want to make sure that we give him a special thank you. Uh, I believe he's uh, tuning in tonight. So uh, Michael, thank you so much. Uh, we ob obviously could not have done this without you. Um, we really hope you all enjoyed our first short film, uh, Won't You Feed My Neighbor. I'm really excited to facilitate what I'm sure will be a thought-provoking and inspiring discussion and to introduce our panelists tonight. First, we have Miley Otterson. She's the founding executive director of Springfield Community Gardens and a member of the Missouri Task Force for Food Security appointed by Governor Mike Parson. She uses asset-based community development to facilitate grassroots resilience and collaboration around healthy food access. Her efforts since 2010 have seen the orchestrated expansion of Springfield Community Gardens from one garden to a network of 18 community gardens, two urban market farms, and a hospital farm. Thank you for joining us tonight, Miley. Jocelyn Fundukos oversees communication and marketing at Operation Food Search to both provide immediate hunger relief and to address the underlying causes of hunger. In addition, she supports the advocacy efforts and innovative programs at Operation Food Search by helping change the conversation around food insecurity and champion change on federal, state, and local levels. Jocelyn, we're so glad you joined us tonight. And finally, Mary Hendrickson is Associate Professor of, in Rural Sociology at the University of Missouri, or Mizzou, and serves as Director of the Interdisciplinary Center for Food Security. Her research explores the socioeconomic structure of agriculture and food, seeking ways farmers, eaters, and communities can create more sustainable food systems. Through research and teaching, she seeks to build resilient, food-secure communities across Missouri and beyond. Mary, thanks so much for being here. So Mary, I'm going to start with you for kind of our first question. Um, and this just kind of helps us set the stage. So several times in the film, the phrase food systems was used. Could you define food systems for us and also how it relates to food access and food security issues? So at a very basic level, a food system is just this interconnected way. It's everything, everybody involved in getting food out of the fields, um, out of the pasture, into um, processing, retailing, distributing, getting it on people's cooking, getting it on people's plates. It's all of that. It's all of these systems. So it intersects with the environment. So the um, you know, the ecology shapes what we can produce and what we can eat. And it um, is also very cultural. Um, certain cultures eat some things, others don't. It's political, it's social, it's economic. So it's all of this. So when we say a food system, it's a shorthand way of saying we're talking about it all. We're not talking just about farmers. We're not talking about just about grocers. We're talking about everything. And they can be kind of interlocking. You might have a very community-based food system. I'm trying to get a lot of stuff at the farmer's market right now, but you know, you still go and buy stuff at a grocery store maybe. But then there's also these very globalized systems that um, you know produce and distribute food across the world. So Food systems is really kind of that shorthand to say we mean everything and we mean that it's really complicated, it's really nuanced, and it's really important. So continuing, um, and this is for all panelists, so um, answer in whatever order you'd like, but in your work and in your experience, what are the best tools to improve our local food systems? I know that's a huge question, <laughs> um, but you all do kind of different work. So um, in your experiences and in your work, um, what are some tools? Whoever wants to start. 
Sure, uh, Miley here, I can start. So uh, the way that we're going to improve a local food system is to uh, have a better food system uh, locally, right? <laughs> and, and so so the way that we do that is through policy and it's also through uh, planning. Um, and being from an urban planning background, of course I would say that, um, but we have to make uh, urban farm and garden land use practices more friendly to beginning farmers and backyard gardeners. We have to have local infrastructure. Um, what I mean by that is um, our high tunnels um, and we have to have packing sheds that can process vegetables uh, that are in urban areas. But that comes again with the land use and the code. So we really have to talk to our city officials and government officials about what we need in order to rebuild the local food system. Mm -hmm. um, my, I always talk about my father who, uh, you know, he, he died at 100, ate well and taught me about gardening um, and taught me about farming. And he thought it was the number one thing that anybody could do to take care of their neighbor is to know how to have uh, their own food. And so we have these, uh, in the Ozarks, we have these uh, small farms that dotted the Ozarks and people weren't really hungry, even during the Dust Bowl and the Depression. In the Ozarks, they really weren't hungry because they knew how to grow their, own, grow their own food and they had the infrastructure. So I would say that it's education and policy are two of the most important things, but also getting that, um, you know, getting people to be able to build that infrastructure we need to rebuild a local food system. If I could just hop in after Miley said that, um, I think the infrastructure piece is really important. Um, and, you know, we have to think about it at multiple scales. So there's the local part, there's the regional part, and this is the way we can really connect our rural Missourians and our urban Missourians is, is really through infrastructure that delivers that that is a place to process it is a place to distribute it is uh creating real linkages between people who might have more land to produce food um and people who who want to get that food so i always think that we have to think about it i love the film because it talked about the doers and will allen from growing power always said just do it do, 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 don't talk, do. And I think that that would, I think that's really, really important. But I also think that we need to think about what scales we want to do stuff at. So the community scale, but we also have, um, I mean, there's also opportunities to build uh, connections that are more um, region-wide, and we can think about regional food systems that um, intersect and support local food systems in our goal of making sure that all communities are food secure, that everybody in those communities is food secure. Well, and something you said that I really like and something that I think um, this film does well is, you know, you're talking about this just do. Uh, I think the film presents a really wide array of, of options for, you know, people who want to maybe get involved somehow, you know, and I think each organization, each ent entity provided different ways, you know, not everybody has the avail you know, the ability to maybe, you know, have a big garden or um, donate a lot of money, but maybe they can go volunteer or maybe people can, you know, grow their own food and share it with their neighbors. But I loved that 
the people and you know like Springfield Community Gardens, like Operation Food Search and 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 Black Farmer Jane and all these entities that provided really different ways of getting involved in trying to better the system. So um, I, I think that was presented really well too. I like that a lot about the film too, that you could see the joy that comes with being involved in food and gardening and bringing together community. Um, I mean, you know, this is a, a very, um, you know, difficult topic when you talk about food insecurity and how many people are impacted by it, but there's also on the flip side of it, so much positive interaction that can come from um, making a better food system and capturing that I think is really great. And I saw that in the film and I definitely see that with St. Louis Metro Market that there's a, a real sort of, you know, hopeful and, you know, positive social um, feeling when, when, you, when you get around people who are trying to make a difference and share food. Mm -hmm. So kind of transitioning a little bit, um, talking about this idea of sustainability. Um, you know, ideas are great, but how do you keep it going? How do you keep it successful? How do you maintain it? So what role does sustainability play in bettering food security and food access? Well, I, I think sustainability is at the core of this. And I define sustainability um, as ecological, but it's also economic and social. So in other words, we're thinking about ecology, we're thinking about community, and we're thinking about economy all at the same time, and we're balancing all of that. And often when people think about sustainability, they just immediately go to ecological strategies. But if we're going to think about quality of life, Food security is at the center of it, that nutritional security, the uh, cultural, uh, the ability to get cultural foods, the, um, the ability to share foods with friends, this is at the heart of quality of life. And so when we think about sustainability, it has to be in all of those places. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that we see in a system now um, in a in some of the globalized ways we are producing and distributing and 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 selling food is that we're really taking advantage of lots of different people and 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 other creatures. So we're taking advantage of um, the ecology um, and stressing water quality. We're stressing a lot of different kinds of um, um, parts of our biosphere, but we're also stressing people. So if we're thinking about food insecurity, and for instance, the idea is, well, we got to get food that's affordable. And that's absolutely that's absolutely correct, but sometimes affordability comes at the expense of other communities, of other workers, of other farmers, and of other ecologies. So I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that what we're thinking about is fundamental changes. We're doing, but it's all about fundamental changes to say we're going to we're going to make food systems in the future that are ecological, they're economic, and they're community-based, right? So we're, that they take care of the community. That's why sustainability is so crucial to addressing food insecurity. Because who's food insecure to? Working adults. Where, what are some of the lowest wages? Um, what sector has some of the lowest wages? It's the food industry. Farm workers are very insecure. Uh, food service workers are very food insecure. 
so these people deal with food all the time and they can't get food so something's not working right and we've got to address all of those things um, together yeah i i would agree with mary i think that everything is connected uh there's that intersectionality of all those parts that aren't working our food sustainable our, our food system's not sustainable as it stands um in green christian and webster county since 2019 there has been a 30 percent increase in diabetes that's part of the food system that's part of the farmers that's part of the quality of life of our neighborhood that is overworking the health system for instance and so we have got to look at all of the things that uh, are coming together for that sustainability such as disaster mitigation um, we, it has been proven that um, farm farms, urban farms and gardens actually slow down flooding. And boy, we can talk about flooding today, can't we? So that's, that's sucking up that rain and slowing it down, right? And so the more green spaces that we have, and again, the land use, then we're going to have a slowdown of flooding. Um, the disaster mitigation um, that people have food access during storms uh, is, is very important. Um, so I think you know, again, it goes back to that education and teaching people why it's so important to have a local food system. And also, uh, uh, one of our panelists mentioned that urban rural space, that pair, what we call peri-urban space. That's so important because the rural farmers need the urban, uh, the urban uh, areas to be sustainable to sell their food to, right? The schools, the hospitals, um, the, the farmers markets. And so we really just, uh, this is where the humanities come in. We need to think about intersectionality and the interdisciplinary nature of food. It's not linear and it's not um, just one thing that we're looking at. So I'm going to um, interject a um, question that we just kind of came through our Q&A. And this is for Jocelyn. Um, and if this is kind of a, a longer, like maybe question, maybe I'll give them your email address, but they want to know specifically about your um, FoodRx program. So the film discussed Operation Food Search's Healthy FoodRx program, particularly for pregnant people. What kinds of infrastructure, such as referrals, partnerships, and outreach is required to reach your Healthy FoodRx participants? Um, well, there are certain referral processes. We're working with federally qualified health centers and doctors and um, patients are, are screened for food insecurity and then referred to us. So it's um, it's going from its pilot phase for, with about 100 families to um, 750 families over the next three years. So we're going to be building out that referral process much more. We're obviously going to have to be expanding and getting you know a lot more participants. Um, but we're doing that both with um, this food is medicine program and also a sort of sister program that works with teens with a diagnosis of diabetes in their families. So that's just in the pilot phase. So you know we definitely have to have those medical referrals. Um, but then once the participants are brought into our program, they're given um, either supportive services or um, meal kits and other you know food resources for the family or both. Thanks, Jocelyn. 
Caitlin, can I, inter- can I interject here? Yes, I think please. that that RX program is really such a shining exemplar of all of, of nonprofit work, of federal policy work, of, of all of these kind of wraparound ways we can do things differently. And I love that because it's not just one thing, but it's pulling together lots of different things and kind of scaffolding for lack of a better word. But I think you can also see that there is a a role for policy. Some of it's federal policy, some of it's local policy, like Miley was talking about earlier. But that's also really important in affecting change. So if people can't grow food, but they love to get food from their neighbors or buy it at the farmer's market, but they can also do policy work and and really talk with, with, you know, their community leaders and so on, thinking about how we can bridge these, right now in the food system we have, how do we bridge some of the nutritional insecurities, um, develop urban farmers, get policy involved? It's it's really lots of different pieces coming together. Mm-hmm. That's such a great point, Mary. I think it, to me, it's always about, it sort of starts with talking about it, because as Miley said, the education piece is so important. I mean, before, you know, I thought I was informed before I started working at Operation Food Search a few years ago, but I didn't know anything really about food systems. And this is something that affects every single human being and where it's completely threaded into our lives. So the more we can understand it and be empowered by our understanding and just be able to make, you know, sort of good choices about maybe you know, reducing meat consumption by a certain percentage or shopping in certain places and just, you know, realizing that we can make an impact in in so many different ways. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that we have a problem with food insecurity and there are a lot of reasons that we can get out of that issue. So it's just so multifaceted, but that means there's a lot of opportunity to help. Thank you both. Um, So this is a a timely topic, and this was something that came up uh, quite a few times in our questions that our attendees posed when they registered for the program, and it's about uh, the increasing cost of food right now. Um, Everybody feels it. So is there anything we as average consumers um, can do to make and keep groceries um, and food in general more affordable? Well, I will say there, I mean, there, there are, you know, some things that we can do in terms of, I mean, I, I think there's so many great ideas in this film as far as finding ways to produce your own food or support local food production, which are really crucial game changers. But um, there's also going to be, you know, bigger steps needed. I mean, we're, we're hopefully going to have um, a Food Donation Improvement Act that's going to pass um, that will make it easier for people to donate food. I mean, we're, we're wasting um, way too much food in this country. So that is something we can really, you know, move the needle on. Um, if we can find ways to make the existing Emerson Act, which protects people from liability in donating food, um, we can make it, you know, more understandable, more clear, so people can give food directly, like from a restaurant directly to a person or from a school um, directly to a student. We, you know, at Operation Food Search are often the intermediary and 
we are happy to fill that role, but that adds another step. And, you know, I've sometimes fielded phone calls at 6 p.m. Like we have all this food, you know, we want, we don't want it to go to waste. And, you know, we're madly making phone calls, trying to find a way to get that food picked up. And, you know, so those are the bigger things that I think um, could help, you know, from our perspective. Yeah, I think Jocelyn's absolutely right. There are bottlenecks in getting food to people who are food insecure. Um, but also there's there are bottlenecks in getting good food to people, period, regardless of their socioeconomic uh, economical, you know, uh, status. I really I really think that we have to have lifestyle changes and we need philosophical changes that are around um, the quality of life, right? We want to talk about quality of life. So if you can slow down and prepare your own food, that food suddenly becomes less expensive because you're using fresh vegetables instead of processed foods that are, pro, uh, that are put in plastic that fill up the landfill, that heat up the earth. You know, so again, it's that, it's that thinking, that whole picture thinking of slowing down and preparing meals. And then um, you find out that they don't cost quite as much because you might eat better and use less and your calories are more uh, uh, nutrient dense, right? So that that's a that's a lot to say, but we really do have to change not only where we get our food, but how we eat it, the manner in which we eat it, and how we prepare it. And again, that's all around the education piece that we talked about or we talk about so frequently. I want to give a shout out here. I mean. I agree that we that there are especially if we move out of the less processed and into the more unprocessed um, you know select different cuts of meat if you if you want to get meat um, select the you know uh, lower end meats that can be just as good if you if you cook them at home and stuff like that so there's a lot of things we can do um, as we move out um, of you know as we're as we're in this period of inflation right but we have to understand it's not just about the food costs per se but it's the housing uh, costs it's the transportation costs and food is often the thing that's at the end of everybody's monthly budget so okay, this is what I have left over, I'll spend it on food, right? And so then the sticker shock happens. So, um, you know, we have to think about addressing all of those things. I like to say that food is simultaneously too cheap and too expensive, right? Simultaneously, because it's too cheap. It's hard for farmers and farm workers and food service workers and processing workers to get paid uh, living wages, but it's also too expensive for many people to afford. That's where policy comes in too. So I want to give a shout out to like the, the um, folks that uh, do here in Columbia. There's a uh, SNAP Double Up Bucks program. So you can go to the farmer's market. I know that St. Louis and Kansas City and Springfield, other places have it. You can go to the farmer's market. Um, you can get double um, your SNAP coupons for use at the farmer's market on fresh food purchases. Um, those are the kinds of programs that work, you know, when SNAP, um, the uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, when it works for people in need, right, it does do what it's supposed to do is what help people access food. And it's a relatively well-oiled, very um, pretty efficient way of, of um, 
giving out of, of helping people access food. And I think that we should look to those programs that have worked, see how, why they're working. Um, and, and they're layered in with all of these other things we're talking about, the nonprofit work, the volunteer work, the community work. It's layered in together. Not one thing is going to be the silver bullet, right? And that's, I think that's really important to understand. Mm-hmm. So we've had a couple of interesting questions that are coming in. Um, so we have a question about gleaning, um, which is a super interesting topic that um, I think uh, Miley and uh, Jocelyn can probably speak to this pretty well. Um, so Kristen says, I'd like to learn if there are gleaning efforts in Missouri at Eden Theological Seminary. We have a gleaning and garden project where as well as supporting a community garden on our campus, we partner with farmers from churches in Western Indiana who welcome us to glean unharvest produce. Last year, they harvested over 12,000 pounds of sweet corn, potatoes, melons, and squash that we then brought back to food insecure areas in the St. Louis region. First off, that's amazing. So um, thank you for the work that you do. And also um, from there, Jocelyn or Miley, can one of you um, define gleaning for us, for those that might not know what gleaning is, and then um, talk a little bit more about the gleaning efforts in, in Missouri that you might know about? Sure. Yeah, I can, I can uh, talk about that. So I think, I think gleaning is an old term. It might be even a biblical term, but it's, it's about what's left, right? There's still, there's still produce that's not going to go to market um, and it's in the field. And uh, in ancient times that was used to help serve the poor, the gleaning and that what's left over was to be a good neighbor, right? And to make sure that everybody eats. Um, But now uh, there's often, food in the field because we have to have perfect food, right? Even though we know that if a food is misshapen, it might actually taste better. And, um, but the point is this, that there's a lot of extra produce that we don't use that doesn't go on the shelves. Um, I'm very proud of our gleaning, uh, our gleaning efforts here in Springfield. Uh, Alexa Poindexter with Ozarks Food Harvest, our food bank, um, she runs a gleaning effort and all of us work together. We hear that there's a field full of food and we race over there with all of our volunteers and work together and the farmers to uh, take that food and get it uh, to who, to those who need it. So we have been doing that. I think, um, I think that started in 2016, actually, with Ozarks Food Harvest, the food bank. And um, almost every week they'll have uh, Uh, produce that farmers have given and it's not just produce it could be I think they have other things like meat and dairy also that are gleaned from the shelves if you will (laughs) yeah it's it's a we have a gleaning program um, that's just been around for a couple years but um, it's sort of like was said in the film that you know the endorphins that come with getting your hands in the dirt we have volunteers and staff members who just love it they're really happy to be out there knowing that, you know, this food is being used and not wasted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I'm going to do one more question from the Q&A before we move on to um, our last couple of questions in our Q&A. Um, so Mark says, I run a food pantry. And Mark, if you wouldn't mind putting in the chat what food pantry, or if you don't want to say specifically, um, maybe what area of Missouri you're in, I think that would be helpful. Um, Mark runs a food pantry. Highly processed foods are the easiest thing to get. Fresh food is really hard to get, unlike during unlike during the pandemic when fresh food and dairy were available through government programs. How do we change this? 
Well, I think part of that, it goes back to the policy work that Mary was talking about. Um, you know, we had those waivers that allowed us and, you know, um, special um, funding that allowed us to provide a lot more produce, to provide a lot more summer meals for kids, to, to be able to give produce boxes to entire families as we gave out those summer meals. And the restrictions um, now that, you know, we're kind of moving out of the pandemic, the restrictions are um, are back in place. And so it, it really, you know, we've had um, progress on a federal level, but in Missouri, we are still not taking advantage of those flexibilities, for example, with the summer meals um, to allow, you know, people to take the meals with them or to be served multiple meals at a time. So I think, you know, this is one of those really interesting food access issues where there is the, all that great produce, but at a very large scale, there are these barriers and these are often policy barriers. Yes, and I'd like to talk about um, just, you know, the issues we have in California. A lot of our, our produce comes from California. We don't have enough vegetable farmers in Missouri um, and what, what the USDA considers to be specialty crops, which are basically vegetables that we eat and fruits. <laughs> Um, and so we have to create farmers who know how to grow those crops so they have the abundance from which to glean or to uh, stock the shelves, right? Um, and so the more that we can insist on education for farmers and a living wage for farmers um, and, you know, really encourage that and, and make that part of the most important thing, that's when you're gonna see an abundance. That's what we're looking for, right? An abundance. And so we can't have an abundance if people don't know how to grow those things and they're not local. We need more of a local abundance. I just wanna emphasize that. And I would just also add, let me go back to the infrastructure issue. So there might be a lot of farmers that are actually knowledgeable and willing to possibly grow um, vegetables and so on, but there's not the packing shed that Miley um, mentioned before. So when you're a grain farmer, you can take stuff to the elevator and there's a place to store things, place to sell it. There's an infrastructure. But here in Missouri, we don't really have an infrastructure that helps um, people move. You know, farmers have a lot of seconds and that can affect their bottom line. But if there, is a, if there is a sorting and packing facility, then those seconds can go into the processing and can get to a processor quickly. And that's really important with things like vegetable. So that's an infrastructure issue. Um, and I would remind people that we used to have things here, right? So down where Miley's at in the Springfield in the Southwest corner of the state, we had huge amounts of tomato production up through the 1970s, right? And then it was outcompeted in, in California, but we had tomato processing, we had grape processing um, in the St. James region. We've had a lot of these kinds of things and we've lost that infrastructure capacity. And we have to, we have to think about that again. And this goes back to Mark's question, the other reason why you have so much processed food that's coming through food pantries is that simply an infrastructure. Do you have the cooling system? Do you have a refrigerated truck? Do you have this infrastructure to actually get, you know, in Colombia, we have a great pantry with lots of those things. But if you go up to, you know, Paris, Missouri, it's a truck that comes once a month and you're not going to get cold stuff, right? So I think that that infrastructure thing is really important to understand as well. 
It's sort of that whole, the cycle we've all been talking about and it being interconnected because, you know, for people to understand all these pieces and to say like, oh, there's a reason why I shouldn't um, donate ramen, you know, in a food drive because it doesn't have a lot of nutritional value. And there's a reason why, you know, people shouldn't have to subsist on ramen. And it just keeps going like, oh, why would they need uh, uh, why do we need to invest in this infrastructure so that they can have produce? Well, they have better health outcomes and reduced healthcare expenses. And it just goes on and on in this cycle. And so it's all about that investment, but to understand why the investment is needed, um, I think is really crucial. Many of our um questions had to do with how people can get involved and what they can do, um, what resources are available. So um, what are some of the uh, food security resources available in the state of Missouri? Um, also, how can people um, support a lot of these organizations and efforts? And um, where is the everyday Missourians help most needed to help alleviate hunger on you know, a local community level, on a regional level? Um, so in other words, how can the everyday Missourian get involved? I think the film gave a lot of, you know, great examples and a lot of great, um, you know, options, but, um, you know, if anybody wants to give them, you know, just a jumping off point, even if it's as much as send me an email, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I love that you got so many of those questions and that's, what's so wonderful about this work is because food really does connect us all. And there are so many ways to get involved. Like we've talked about with, you know, having conversations with helping, you know, grow something or, or making a small investment, um, doing some volunteer work, you know, coming to a, a pantry or a food bank and um, packing boxes, sending a, a letter to your representative, um, at Operation Food Search, we have a, a whole sort of, you know, volunteer website that's built out with different opportunities like gleaning, um, getting on for the Metro Market bus and going out in the community, um, you know, and all those things. So um, there are just so many different ways. And I think people can really find what suits them and know that it only takes a little bit. I mean, that's that's sort of the beauty of this is that it's a, a lot of helping hands needed, but each each set of hands doesn't have to do, you know, anything more than what they have the capability of doing, and it will matter. I think yeah, it's go ahead, Miley. So sorry. I just I just wanted to say, just remind everybody that where you put your attention, that's what will grow, right? And so we went from one garden to eighteen because that's where we put our attention. And we, we, you know, have distributed over a million pounds of food since 2010, because that's where we're putting our attention. And so, you know, grow a tomato, um, fall in love with food, fall in love with simple recipes. Um, if you're a plumber, donate irrigation, you know, if, if you, um, you know, whatever, whatever you do is connected to food in some way. I'll almost guarantee whatever you do is going to be connected to food in some way. And so you can, you can, those are your talents and you can give your time to um, a local urban ag coalition, to Kansas city community gardens, um, to a compost collective that, that creates soil for the farmers in those gardens. 
Um, you know, there are just so many ways to get involved. And of course, you can go to springfieldcommunitygardens.org, our, our website, and we have a farm school that you can get involved in. Um, you know, so there are just so many great food efforts all over the state of Missouri. And I would just encourage you to take that simple, small step to, to make it your attention, to put your attention there. I, I was just going to add that I think that if you if people are a member of a faith community as well, um, there's a lot of faith communities that have collective work together where they actually um, are involved in um, uh, uh, volunteering together at one of the urban agriculture projects or something, or volunteering at a soup kitchen, or working on policy. For instance, I I know that the Presbyterians used to have a hunger center, and I just happen to know about that one. Every faith group is involved in um, in these issues in some way, and so if you're a member of a faith group, that's also an avenue of getting involved in this kind of work. And I would also just remind everybody that there are simple policy things, right? So try. If you're volunteering, you're starting to hear about some of the policy issues that people would like to see, and that, you know, uh, that could be showing up at the planning and zoning commission meetings, or it could be um, writing a letter, or it could be, um, you know, looking at the food uh, research and action centers, um, the, uh, ideas about, you know, the Childhood Reauthorization Act. I mean, there's a lot of things that, um, different ways that people can enter into this. And I think the resources that folks have laid out are, are really important. There's national level ones, there's state level ones, there's faith level ones, there's all kinds of really good stuff. And kind of to, to wrap up that question, and then we have one more. Um, I Someone uh, gave us a comment um, about um, Latrice, who uh, Latrice in the film was um, the founder of Black Farmer Jane in Kansas City. So this, this attendee says, one of the farmers on the film, which was Latrice, said, getting really good at growing one thing and sharing with mm -hmm. your family. That's so powerful and something many people can do. So I think that that's really, um, you know, Mary, and you kind of said this earlier that, you know, if people want to know what they can do. It's do something, you know, that there's a lot of options, but you can do something. Um, so kind of our last question to wrap this up. Um, and Miley, you touched on this a little bit, and I really loved the way you talked about kind of this um, intersection of humanities um, with topics like this. So what role do you all feel the humanities and conversations like this play in helping us better think about the complexities and future of food security for all? I, I really love this question. I think, um, you know, as a communicator, I'm, I'm very interested in that sort of starting point of um, connecting the history and the culture and um, all aspects of society that that make up that humanistic approach. And to me, it's hard to change something if you don't understand where it came from. Mm -hmm. And understanding the history of um, food apartheid, of food systems, knowing that food banks have been around for 40 years, why is it that they started in the first place? Why are they still here? And what can we do, um, I think, really brings together that sort of multidisciplinary sort of lens that helps us to understand. And to me, it can be complicated. If you think about all those different things, it can be overwhelming. But really, it just starts with the conversation around the dinner table. And the more we can talk to our friends, 
our kids, our neighbors about, you know, what we're learning, you know, wow, I learned this today about how, you know, you can glean from farms and isn't that interesting? And, you know, all these things, we, we can educate each other and inform each other by having these conversations. Um, so to me, that, that really is at the core. You were, you were trying to get to at how the humanities intersect with this, right, Caitlin? And mm -hmm. I think that it's really absolutely crucial to understand that it's agriculture, right? And um, so many of our customs, our norms, our rituals have emerged in our relationship with food and agriculture. And we should embrace that. It's a, we tell stories. Storytelling is a really important aspect of system change, right? Um, I am a scientist, so I talk about data. Ah, data doesn't matter, really. It's a story that matters, right? And it's connecting that particular thing with the rest of the stories that we have in our culture. And food um, can be a way of sharing cultures as well. So I think that the social and cultural aspect of of the food system i'm so happy to see humanities actually involved in this because it's interdisciplinary and we will never change without stories of change mm -hmm. and i think that that's really uh an important aspect of the kind of the transformation that josh Lud miley and i are all seeking yeah i would i would agree with that mary and i think um that we are storytellers, like Mary said, and for thousands of years, people have cultivated food. And some of the best classical literature I've ever read, whether it's Tolstoy talking about uh, a workhorse, or it's um, Thomas Hardy talking about plowed fields with rows that look like rows of corduroy. I get goosebumps like when I think of my favorite passages in literature. And, um, but we'll always tell the story about food. And it, it, you know, when you think about the humanities, what is what are the humanities? Um, geography, anthropology, uh, literature, right? I mean, I could go on. And all of those things, even my urban planning degree, which is a geography degree, is are the humanities. And so um, we are human and we will always eat. And whether it's farming and those beautiful stories or it's food and those great stories around the table and the people who write about those stories, um, it is so connected to the humanities. And I'm, you know, I'm just very privileged to be part of this conversation because of the humanities actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Miley, Jocelyn and Mary um, for your insights, for your wonderful conversation. We were so happy to have um, all of your, your inputs, your organization's inputs in this film. Um, and I really hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, thank you to all who made it possible for Missouri Humanities to produce this film. And of course, thank you to all of us, all of you watching with us and for your thought provoking questions and comments during our discussion. This was a really great conversation and I'm so happy um, that you guys wanted to be part of that. We appreciate you taking the time to listen and hope you enjoy the conversation as well as the film. We hope if you haven't watched the film yet that this discussion inspires you to check it out and learn more. 
Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. And again, the film, along with lots of great resources, can be found on our Missouri Humanities YouTube channel and at mohumanities.org backslash food. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you again to Mary, Miley, and Jocelyn for such an in-depth and insightful conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Missouri Humanities and is part of our 2022 signature series, Please help us share these stories by sharing episodes with your loved ones and on your social media platforms. If you're tuning in for the first time, we hope you go back and listen to our previous episodes for more stories that look at food and food ways through a humanities lens. If you're listening on an app, don't forget to follow us and leave a review. I'm Caitlin Yeager with Lisa Carrico, and we hope you'll tune in for future episodes of Eat, Think, and Be Merry as we explore more of Missouri's foodways and edible history and connect through food. Mm-hmm.